and been saved. And so lived a life, came through middle school, came through high school, uh, played sports my whole life, got a chance for a uh, full ride scholarship at University of Iowa, uh, came to Iowa and uh, kind of fell away from God there, uh, dabbled in some things. Um, and man, junior year, well actually freshman year, uh, I blew my knee out, tore my ACL, tore my MCL, um, and ruptured both of my meniscus. If you guys have ever done anything like that, I don't pray that on anybody, okay? Uh, and so all in one go, um, if you're gonna go out anyway, I suggest you go out the way that I did, right? <laughs> it was in a game, uh, probably not right before Big Ten play, but in the game nonetheless, I got a pass, came down the lane, Went up for a dunk, boom, right? I was screaming on the way up. I was hyped. We went up by one, hanging on the rim, screaming, ah, right? I come down, land on the ground, and I'm still screaming, ah, my knee gives in, ah. It's a different kind of scream then, right? And so it just snaps, boom, and I fall down. I scream for like a minute straight. And so, man, it was then uh, the idol of basketball wasn't quite uh, loosened up completely yet, man, but that was the beginning of it, right? That was God showing me, man, that this thing that you have been living for, this thing you've given your life for, your identity to, uh, it can be gone just like that, right? And so it was that moment where God kind of used that to begin to pry my hands uh, off of the world, right? And so, um, man, then it was, you know, just time, the rest of the time in college, met my wife junior year, uh, plugged into some ministries at the University of Iowa, right? Got a chance to go overseas, played pro ball, uh, for six years, my wife came over there with me, had two beautiful baby girls while we were over there in France. Got done in uh, 2017. While I was over there, I prepared for a career in higher education, and the Lord was good. I uh, got my master's in psychology, came back in 2017. He allowed me to actually get ushered into a higher education job down at Des Moines University, uh, graduate health sciences school, doing some recruitment and admissions, uh, fun job, got to travel all over the place. And it was then in 2017 where I thought, yeah, okay, I'm done with ball. I'm about to jump into this new thing. And God, like, literally arrested me <laughs> out of uh, higher education. He was like, ah, you're coming with me. You know, you're coming, you're coming, you're doing this thing now. Uh, that puts it comedically. <laughs> right. Um, but, yeah, and so from, so that was 2017. I actually discerned the call from 2018 to 2019. Um, and then 2019 began full-time vocational ministry at Cornerstone Church. And so I've been doing that for a little over a year and a half now. So. You chew deer yet. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Do I eat deer jerky? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um. Also from Kansas City. Go Chiefs. <laughs> if you guys looking for any sports teams, any professional. <laughs> Iowa stars for sports teams. So um, shortly, so I, I grew up Muslim, actually. So my full name is Abdullah Ibn Mikhail Hassan Muhammad. So I, so I grew up Say Muslim. Say that three times fast. Yeah. Uh, and so I actually came to faith in college in no small part through his in-laws. <laughs> so <laughs> small world. Shout out Cornerstone. I know, right? <laughs> right. Um, and so for me, 
it was growing up as a really, you know, kind of a, a, a devout Muslim and then doing what everybody does when they leave home, which is, you know, I don't know if I believe in this stuff. I got to go find it out for myself and just, you know, and just go be a student and go be in the world and do stuff that unsafe people do. Right. So um, and I was a, I, mean, I studied philosophy, among other things. And so you know, I had a couple of folks who were grabbing me with talking about philosophy and education and theology and all this kind of stuff. And I was a musician. And so, you know, Jared's idol was basketball. Mine was music. And, you know, I was the lead singer in a band. I was a recording artist. I toured all around, you know. And so um, the thing that got my heart was really, okay, there's all these different systems. There's Islam. There's Buddhism. There's Christianity. There's all these different things. And everyone's saying it's the one way, and everyone's making all these claims. And so I really started to, because I'm a bit of an egghead, I wanted to investigate, is there a such thing as actual truth? versus just, you know, it's true because I believe it. Is it true because it's true? Like, could I prove faith like I prove math? Right? The short answer is yes, you can. <laughs> um, and, so, and so, you know, it, it led me down the road to answer really one essential question. And the essential question was, do we need Jesus? And so... You know, after studying a bunch of philosophy and religion and that kind of stuff, all the different religions have a lot of things to say about a lot of things. And they all have some really interesting and sometimes untrue things to say about Jesus. So we know historically that Jesus was a person. He was a guy. He lived, right? He was a, he was a baby. He was a 12-year-old. He was a man who was executed at 30-something years old, right? So that part, there's a gang of history that supports that and so for me it was answering okay so I know historically that Jesus lived I also know historically that Jesus was executed because even non-believing historians say yeah he was a dude who came along who claimed to be God and they executed him for it right and so Muslims don't believe that but Muslims do believe that Jesus was like the Bible said ascended to heaven alive on the Mount of Olives and so then it's a really simple kind of mathematic or forensic problem. Wait a minute. He lived, and he was ascended to heaven alive, and history said he was executed, but Muslims say, nah, he wasn't executed. Well, then that makes Islam not historically accurate. And so if they believe he lived and they believe he ascended, then the only thing in the middle, and we know historically that he was executed, the only thing in the middle is the resurrection. And if Jesus in the Bible and, the, and if the gospel writers and historians say, wait a minute, there was this, this like earthquake, right? So think about earthquakes. Um, there is actual historical record about seismic events that happened right around the time of the, of the execution of Jesus. The Bible describes it as the temple was split in two and the, and the earth shook. There's actual seismological evidence of that event. So I started just really looking at all the different stuff and said, wait a minute, maybe these Christians aren't crazy, <laughs> you know? And so for me, it, it just, it, it, it led to my conversion was a really kind of intellectual one. Define seismological. Earthquakes. <laughs> I'm just playing just with They... It was weird. So 
Um, I come from a divorce background. My, my parents were divorced. So my, my, my mother's father was a Baptist pastor. Um, and my father became a Muslim slightly, shortly before I was born. And so when my parents divorced, my mother went back to my, my grandfather's church. And my father's side of the family, A, they were, they were very religiously Muslim, but they were also, um, uh, it's called black nationalists, right? So, so my, my family didn't like white folks, right? Just, just to be completely blunt about it. You know, and so, so they were like, wait a minute, look at all the stuff that's happened in history to people of color at the hands of European people. And so we're not so sure we like y'all. So my Muslim side of the family were like, cousin, what are you doing? Like, you've been in Iowa too long, and these folks done got to you. So the Christian side of my family was like, it's about time. You know, we've been telling you the whole time. And really the only, the saddest part about that is my grandfather who, you know, he, he had passed before, before I came to faith. So I never got a chance to rejoice in that with him. But it was weird. Some were, some were all about it and some were like, yeah, you, you got soft. Yeah, you tripping. Yeah. You're holding the answer in your hand. It's your smartphone. It's the fact that the revolution is televised. It's on, that's, that's the difference. The same thing was going on, you know, when I was like you guys' age, there was, there was also stuff happening. There was a kid named Yusuf Hawkins who was about my age when I was in high school. He got murdered on the way home. There was a guy named Amadou Diallo um, when I was in either a senior in high school or in college, um, Amadou was walking home from a party alone and walked up and, and, and he was getting followed by the police and he's walking up to the steps of his, of his, of his, of his brownstone and a few police cars flanked the front of the steps and he stood there not doing anything. Slowly, you can go look, go, go look at this. His name is Amadou Diallo. Slowly, he reaches for his wallet, and they shot him 47 times. But it wasn't on YouTube. So the difference at this point, I think it's, we have evidence of it now. And the second thing I'd say is this. Think about all of us, or I'm assuming all of us, if not most of us, are believers who profess Christ. We believe an event that we didn't see that happened over 2,000 years ago. Ask yourself why it's so difficult for some people to believe, for example, in systematic racism, when we have a historical record that's even older than that. I think, I think that's good. Or if you want to follow that train of thought, um, just the, I mean, we have a biblical 
systematic like reality, right? <laughs> through one man, all have sinned, and through one man, all are saved. <laughs> That's a systemic reality to our faith, right? Uh, because of Adam, we've all fallen. Because of Jesus, we can all be saved. We didn't die on the cross. Jesus did. We didn't take from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Adam did, <laughs> right? And so if we can believe in that, then we can for sure believe in the historical, systemic, racial realities of America. And so to answer the question at hand, I, I think not only that, which is really good, Abdul, <clears throat> I think the cultural moment of COVID helped out quite a bit, <laughs> you know, to be blunt. Um, man, I don't like COVID like the next person doesn't like COVID. But my goodness, when the whole body is hurting, it's a little bit easier to pay attention to the foot that's been throbbing for 400 years. When the whole body is hurting, right, it's a little bit easier to pay attention to uh, that annoying little earache, <laughs> you know? And so it's, it's not this, it's not just that, I mean, COVID was super helpful in that way where, yes, it's the phone, but it's also, we've had the phones, you know? Uh, we've, this isn't the first time we've seen this. 20, there was nothing unique about 2020. Uh, this happened in 2017. This happened in 2014. This happened in 2012. This happened in uh, 2010, right? 1994, <laughs> 18 or 1965, uh, 68, right? That whole, the whole 60s narrative. You get JFK, you get Edgar Mevers, you get uh, MLK, uh, uh, Malcolm X. <laughs> it's been televised in the, the, the whole time. Um, we weren't holistically as a people ready yet. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that simple. Uh, man, uh, I almost said Thanks, COVID. <laughs> you know, can I just say thanks, COVID? <laughs> can I can I say that and not get beat up up here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What else do we do? Yeah, you're stuck in the house. You're you got the screens. You got the computers. All this kind of stuff. And it's like, what's that? Books. Grab the books. Educate. So. That's right. You just had something that, that has never that has never occurred to me before. Well, it has, but not in this not in this way that's hitting me right now. Is um, part of the answer to your question is also it's God's it's God's sovereign timing. You know, and so so if if you're if you're paying attention to anything justice related, whether it is racial justice, whether it is um, um, issues with immigrants, whether it is um, issues with unborn babies. If you're paying attention to anything, any of those issues or, or even more, odds are they're not, the change isn't happening fast enough for you. Right? And so for those of us who've been dealing with this racial business for so long, come on with the come on. It's taking way too long. You know? But it's taken way too long for me. And the world didn't operate on my time or your time or someone else's time. It's so part of the issue, which doesn't sound good to say, because I, I, I kind of don't like the answer, 
But part of the issue is it's also on God's sovereign time. There's something about this moment that God has ordained that we should be paying attention in this way. And so I think we kind of miss that, like the bigness of God and how God superintends all this stuff. And I think just real quick too, um, just the, the cultural air of America, right? Like this, um, there's always been a, a, a people group that has fought against the status quo, right? Um, I think right now we're in a, we have a young generation that where this has actually compounded over time and we have a generation Y and a generation Z. I'm not really sure what's going to come after that. We are done with the letters. What are we going to do? Go back to generation A, A1, B2. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, alpha. Yes. Zet. No, we got to go backwards. Zet. And then back up. Um. <laughs> um. Damn, I lost my train of thought, man. What was I saying? Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, I think over time like, we've, we've had this compound now, and we have a, a young generation that, like, like, enough progress has happened to where a generation hasn't been completely emerged in this, uh, you know, uh, uh, white supremacy right? Like not completely emerged. And so like the, the, the ear that gets tuned to this idea of justice, there's enough that's able to come in where it's like, huh, (laughs) you know, the realization comes earlier, you know, and now we have a generation young enough where it's like, this isn't right. You know, like I'm not putting up with this. We got 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 year olds who aren't revolutionaries, but are just awakened to the sound mind that like, yo, there's, there's evil going on. There's evil, <laughs> you know? Like, this isn't good. This isn't right. When other generations hadn't done that, you had 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds with their heads in the sand. No more. <laughs> no more. Generation Y and Generation Z and Z and Alpha and Beta. Y'all done woke up. <laughs> y'all, done got the, y'all done got the fire. And so I, I, I think what's actually going to happen is, man, um, for better or worse, for better or worse, um, the foot is coming off the neck. So. So really quick, everyone who, well, if you consider yourself a proud American, please raise your hand. Right? I, can, I cannot raise enough hands, feet, and toes. Right? And so think about your American pride. And also think about this. You are, we exist as Americans specifically because somebody stood up to injustice. Right? If the Patriots didn't stand up to the oppression of King George, we, none of us would be sitting here. Right? So. Not even me? None of us. <laughs> you know? Um, I mean, so, so we, we exist specifically. Like, so I'm a historian, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a history nerd. And I'm convinced that people don't teach history right in high school. Right? <laughs> And 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 and. Not gonna name in. 
<laughs> history, history is a phenomenal story. Have y'all seen Hamilton on Disney Plus yet? Right? It's a phenomenal story. It's this dude was causing oppression. This, this, this king was off the chain. And we tried. We tried as colonists. King, please quit taxing us out the wazoo. Please, please let us have some representation in parliament. Please, 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 please. Tupac has a thing, a video, the rose that grew from concrete. Right? Where he talks about, you can only say please for so long. At first, it's like, you know, you're hungry you're at the door going, we hungry, we hungry, give us something to eat, we hungry, we, you know, after a while, am I listening to you? You kick, I'm kick, I'm picking the lock, I'm coming through the door blasting. I'm kicking the door down and I'm shooting everybody. That was the American Revolution. And that was a direct quote, so don't, like, don't. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's Tupac. <laughs> don't put that, that yeah. was a direct quote from Tupac, yes. don't put that so on there. So, the point being, right now in this moment, people of color are saying the same thing. We're not saying we're coming through shooting people, but what we're saying is... We're kicking the door down. Oppressed folks, right? People of color, LGBTQ folks who are also made in the image of God are kicking the door down saying, man, okay, there's a sovereign God thing, which I may or may not believe in, but the part of me that's human, then it's taking too long. And so we're doing the exact same thing the Patriots did. We just don't recognize it as the same thing. I'll go first, so you can, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know you was waiting for that question, Doc. You go ahead. Um, I'll go this route with it, though. I, um, uh, the colorblind question. I'll just answer that one. Um, number one is it's it's a lie. We're not colorblind. Um, you can't be colorblind. My skin is black. Um, I'm looking out at white faces. <laughs> right? There's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. You were made that way. I was made this way. You reflect Jesus. You reflect God as you are. I reflect God as I am. He's so beautiful. He's so multifaceted. He's so wonderful that he can't be reflected by one. <laughs> so he made all. <laughs> Jesus was a Jewish man in a Jewish culture who died, was pinned, who's pinned to a cross, who was buried, and who resurrected himself as a Jewish man. <laughs> We can't forget that. Our identity as God created us goes nowhere in the resurrected body. 
Revelation 7 tells us at that throne in the eschaton. I love that word, the eschaton. That just means the end times, eschatology, the study of the end times. He says that every nation, every tribe, and every tongue will be around that thing. You and all your glorious European heritage, wherever that may come from, me with all my African heritage, and you closer to me because you got that history. But I'm getting 23andMe DNA tests, and so I'm going <laughs> to figure out where I come from, <laughs> right? But, man, it's beautiful. And so I want, like, I want it to be known. The idea is not to forget. The idea is not to look beyond. The idea is not to erase and wipe away. The idea is to enter into celebration, right, and to be unified around what's good, right? If we tell the truth about the division, if we tell the truth about racism, I'm an optimist. Thomas is a pessimist. I'm an optimist. I believe wholeheartedly that my white brothers and sisters who profess Christ do not want to look at racism and injustice and all this kind of stuff and just say, you know, hey, it's all right. If you knew the truth, if you saw the reality in it and your heart is changed by Christ, my optimist heart wants to believe wholeheartedly that you will agree with the truth. Abdul. So, yes and amen <laughs> to what you just said. And so to add to that, I, so I, I would say this, uh, to take it a little bit of a different way. Do you have children, sir? Okay, so how many, do you have more than one? Okay, so you as a parent, actually anybody in this room, but especially if you're a parent, understand one fundamental thing about people, and that is fairness does not equal sameness, right? So I have four children, and I look at them all not with equality, but with equity. So, so to your question is what's the end of the, like what are we looking for? I would say what people are looking for for any for any oppressed people group, including the old like the old patriots, what we're looking for is equity. So what we're looking for is to not have, to your point, Jared, to not have our identity erased in something called colorblindness. Because when you really think about what colorblindness is, it is not true colorblindness. What it really is is let's erase all of the things that don't that aren't quote white and equate them with white. So, so if you look at the math on that, which is, we won't get to the tasting long, but that's what it ultimately means. And so and the, uh, the other thing I would say is that, so, um, and this is a, a rather incendiary comment, but, and I mean it in this way. If you're white and I'm black, the devil created that. The devil created race. Race is a lie of the devil of hell, a lie of the enemy. God created ethnicity. God created culture. And so... The thing called white and called black, that's demonic. That's what, so what I want is I want to get rid of that. Let's, let's completely abolish and stop using the terms of the enemy. So what I want is to revert to if God's the author of culture, um, for us to be, for us to be, um, uh, to have an equitable kind of thing, what that means is that to understand that God made me 
fully a product of my, of my ancestors, and God made you fully a product of your ancestors, and that that shouldn't change. If I look at you and I stop seeing your European heritage or whatever else you have in there, if I stop seeing that, what I'm actively choosing to do is saying I'm ignoring part of the sovereign plan of God. So I think that's what we have to, like, we, we, we got to really keep in mind that God's on the throne, God created ethnicity, God created culture, and colorblindness erases culture. So colorblindness literally erases the God in everybody. So the underlying question, I think, is what do we do with racism then? What do we do with it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to first acknowledge that it exists. Yeah. You have to first the second acknowledge that, that all of us participate in it. Right? All of us participate in it. By using the terms... Like, I'm sure you all of you have heard this idea that race is a social construct, right? By using the terms of the construction, white, black, right? By using the very terms, you reinforce the system. So first off, stop reinforcing the system. So what you do with it, I, I think, what you do with it is, is just like when we become believers, we have a whole new identity and a whole new vocabulary. Sometimes it's bad and it turns off non-believers. So we got to get rid of that too. <laughs> but... But how do we change our vocabulary and change our language to reflect what God says we are and not kind of walk in both of these worlds of what God says I'm this, but society says I'm this. So, and because the reality is, if you're walking in both worlds, I guarantee you every time and 20 times on Sunday, you will walk the way of the world and you will walk the way of culture. Because culture is what you see every single day. We turn your TV on, you visit your family's house, and culture always wins. So what we do about racism, in my opinion, is we have to really, it's, it's, it's the Ephesians 2 stuff. It's God breaking down, down the dividing wall of hostility. And so that take, that's a present, active, everyday thing. Today, I'm going to choose to not listen to the lies of the enemy and what he says about me, whether, whether you know, um, if, it's, if it's, man, I have, I, to your point, I, I have depression, or whether it's me and I'm, I'm oppressed. Or I got pulled over just this morning, just this morning, sat in the police car for 25 minutes and did not get a ticket. <laughs> you know, that doesn't change my identity. So I, so I have to say in that moment, I'm going to choose to not do stuff like all cops are racist. That's a choice. That's an active choice. So you have to choose when you look in the mirror every day. I am first and foremost a product of the ethnicity that the sovereign God of the universe intended for me before the foundation of the world. That's good.
If the worship team sounds like Josh Beeman, I mean, that's where I'm going to be at. <laughs> yeah, that's where, that's where I'm going to be at. <laughs> uh, but no, like, so what, what does a church or ministry that's pursuing racial equity look like? Like, if you were looking for a church in town, which one are you going to pick? Like, what, what values do you want to see, I guess? Like, we would want to see that, that diversity come to this ministry, this, this youth ministry. Like, so what, do you, what would you want to see? Or what would you want your kids to grow So I would say practically, because we've done that church shopping thing too. You know, I moved to Kansas City some years ago. We looked 27 or 28 churches we, we visited and spread, almost spreadsheeted it. But the first thing is, even if, so Boone demographically is what it is, right? And so, and that's not bad. It's not bad by any means. It's just what it is. But um, you can still have, for example, a 95% so-called white church. You can still have that. And still have a value for equity and inclusion. Here's what it looks like. So a couple of practical things. Um, as a worship leader, I'm a musician. I was a worship leader. As a worship leader, your team should be playing some stuff that's not just Hillsong or CCM or whatever. Regardless of who's in the, the, the congregation. Right? Because you show, it's one of those, like you know the, 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 the expression, if you build it, they will come erase that. They will come if you build it. Right? So what I'm looking for is, oh, I don't have to be the guinea pig for this equity thing. They already value this stuff. I'm going to plug into what they're already doing. So as, a, so as a worship leader, you know, spend some time bathing yourself in musical experiences of other cultures. Even if you don't play a single other song out of your other rotation, if you do that, I'm telling you as a musician here, if you do that, it will change the way you play. It will change the rhythm. It will change the timing. It will change a bunch of different things to the exact same songs. So if you're preaching, let some of the sermon illustrations and examples and everything speak to people's experiences that aren't represented from just Boone, Iowa. You know, um, I mean, that's just two practical examples. You know, one, uh, a third one is for folks who are homeschooled or that were homeschooled, um, or, or, or if you have any kind of like Christian teaching curriculum, really examine that Christian teaching curriculum for vestiges of white supremacy. I don't mean hoods and capes. What I mean is the things that show that, quote, white is better. For example, classical conversations, extremely racist educational curriculum for socializing Christian kids because it teaches that everything good came out of this Greco-Roman experience. Nothing came from Africa, nothing came from India, nothing came from anywhere that wasn't, quote, white. But if you're not looking for that, you won't know to find it. So that's just three examples. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'll just add a little tag on because you just, like, <laughs> murdered I, I should just stop, but I'm not. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think what's really important is the um, 
I don't know what you guys call it, Stonebridge Kids, right? Or whatever you call the kids ministry. D6, okay. No, no, it's like any, any kids ministry. Um, kids are super formidable and they're at formative ages, right? Um, for a kid to walk into his class, see a storybook of Jesus or see a Bible you know, with Jesus or uh, a coloring book, right, of Jesus or anybody else from the biblical times, you know, more often than not, those books in there are telling a story before they even can read, <laughs> right? They're telling a story of who Jesus is, what he looks like, um, who those people look, what those people look like, right? And it's reinforcing that, oh, they look like me, right? I have... Um, Abdul, you may have even experienced this with your own kids, right? But I've got babies, five, three, and, and, one, and one and a half, five, four now, actually, and one and a half. Um, <clears throat> and my sister-in-law, uh, she's got kids around the same ages, all boys. We got all girls. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but, hey, I was, I've been here before. Y'all don't know. We have a fourth one coming, and it's a baby boy. So, <laughs> hey. We're eight weeks away, so y'all can be praying for us and clapping for us at the same time. Um, and so one of the stories I, I, I tell about this is that, man, we got this book by Trillia Newbell, Newbell called God's Very Good Idea. Um, man, if you're a parent, get that book in the crib. It is phenomenal. Um, and my daughters are looking at this book, and it illustrates a brown Jesus, <laughs> you know, uh, and it's just like, man, that reinforcement of, you know, my savior looks like me, <laughs> you know, is, is amazing, particularly in a predominantly white culture, right? Um, on the contrary, my sister-in-law also got this book and her son gets it, you know, at age four, five, and he had already seen the white Jesus. He gets this book. He looks at it. He's like, wait, I thought, I thought Jesus was white like me. And was actually like super turned off to that reality. Right? Because you can't fathom a figure like Jesus being something other. Uh, the predominant white culture cannot, you know. And I think that's damaging um, in, our, in our churches. Right. And so if we can counter that uh, at a at a really young age, you know, so when I think the kids ministry that's really important. Um, I think that'll help too, in terms of actually raising up, you know, a generation that doesn't think in that way. So just really quick before we go. So how about you guys over here? Any, any questions over here? Any, any thoughts? Any? No. OK. <laughs> you're like, you're like Pops, Pops, got it. Pops got it, man. Chill, chill. Thank you. 
That's a brilliant question. That, that, that's actually one of the questions, right? So my, my answer, you know, so I, I said that I was a historian, so I'm, I'm, I'm a lot of things, but. <laughs> and he's got his PhD. He's about to be yeah, Dr. Abdul here in a minute. Yeah. So, so I'm going to give you, because my, my master's degree is in political science, and I study particularly political and social behavior. So I'm going to give you a really simple Christian who happens to be a political scientist answer. <laughs> All right. The first thing is to understand, like one of the things you said is, okay, so it's rural and conservative. Yes. Understand what conservatism actually is and what it isn't. And understand that part of what like social media and those kind of things are doing are really feeding us different versions of reality. Okay. And so, and so understand from a, from a conservative movement standpoint that the reality of the historical receipts is that the conservative movement has really been also tied to direct and open racism, right? And, and, and understand that as a, as a, let's say political parties, right? Political parties are designed to win elections. That's the only purpose. That's their only purpose. And so... And so I would say fight against the identity of, man, we're rural and we're conservative and we're this and we're that. We are people who just by God's intention are placed in this time and in this place. And how do we take, okay, really a buddy of mine says Christians should be politically homeless. If you have, or you or anybody, if we have as our identity a political party, in a practical sense, understand that that's idolatry. What's the first commandment, anybody? I am the Lord your God. You will have no other gods before me. If I hang a shingle and say I'm a conservative and I'm a Democrat or I'm a this and I'm a that, before the sovereign God of the universe, I'm committing some pretty significant idolatry, <laughs> you know? So then what you do practically in the day to day is you don't have to post stuff on social media to be, you know, kind of down with the cause, so to speak, you know, but how, but how, like, like what really I would say, get off social media. It's designed to separate folks. Watch the Netflix documentary, the social dilemma. If you haven't seen it yet, the social dilemma, it's insane. Y'all want to have nightmares for the rest of your life? Watch that. <laughs> Don't watch that. Social dilemma makes you think about yes. how much you social media. Yes. Yes. So, so the short version, if you don't want to have nightmares of that documentary, is that so, the social media companies, and, and they interview the folks who design the technology from Facebook and Yahoo and whatever. The social media companies are designed to give you a version of reality that's self-reinforcing so that they can sell your identity to make money. 
right? That's just why they're there. They're businesses. So I would say get off social media. And I'm, I'm, and it's an addiction. I'm trying to get off myself. But when you are with friends and the family, to some extent you have to be willing to lose. Like lose friends, lose families. You know, um, I tell pastors a lot, if you really want to be about God's justice, you have to be willing for every single person to walk out of your church and not give you one other dollar of tithing. Because that's a really radical act, you know. And so really love your family enough to go, oh, wait a minute, flag on the play there, <laughs> you know. Or, or um, yeah, w- why are you posting all this woke stuff? Or, you know, these X person on the, over here, they are the enemy, right? So if we as Christians are on two different sides or three different sides or whatever different sides of, of, a, of a political movement, I think we need to understand as believers that we are first and foremost siblings in Christ. And really, just like your mama said, you know, if you had siblings, my mama yanked me up. Is this your brother? Yes, ma'am. Well, then act like it. <laughs> it's really that simple, right? If you're my brother, I got to act like it. You got to act like it. Right. And if I'm hurting and I'm bleeding and you don't come to my rescue, I'm going to say you're not acting like you're my brother right now. And if you're not listening to me, then I got to separate myself from you. Because being your friend is being your brother is actually causing me harm because you're not saying anything. Right. So because the gospel is what standing up for the rights of the, of, of the oppressed and the poor and the widow and all, the, all this other stuff. So I think the most practical thing I could say, the most absolutely practical thing is act like your people that aren't looking, that don't look like you are actually your people and not some other random cat from Mars. Um, Another real real quick, real real quick. I know Josh, we're running running out of time. Sorry. Uh, Right there. I'm also a Bible teacher. So I can get going too. I'm sorry right, about that. Right, right. Come on, man. <laughs> I gotta two, keep two up with. Us? I gotta keep up with Jerry. Two of us. Oh, y'all really messed up. Um, I would, I would say too. Um, this is a, a real frequent conversation I have, and and um, uh, more present conversation I have. Like when we think of uh, working on our tolerance, when we think of doing something, when we think of advocacy, advocating, which is good, posting, that's, that's good stuff, right? Um, I like to say this real quick. Social media is a great tool. It's a, uh, it's a terrible home, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a great place to play. It's a terrible place to stay, <laughs> Right? Can I say it like that? Can you can you clap for your can you snap for your boy? Um yeah, you can't make your home in social media. It's a it's a phenomenal tool and we have to start treating it like a tool, right? What is a hammer good for? Screwing in screws? No. It's not good for screwing in screws. Banging in nails, right? You can use a hammer for that. Um what do you use a tape measure for? Right? To, that's Amen. Six foot eight, in case y'all were wondering. Six foot eight. 
six foot eight. Who, who won the bet? Yeah, who won the who won the bet? Who was there? It is. Um, yeah, and so we've got to start treating um, social media like that. And so the 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 conversation I've been starting to have is we've got to be really careful not to start treating these efforts as charity, right? Because they're they're not charity for us to care about one another. We only. As Americans, as American Christians, we only have one category for caring for somebody, and that's charity. We only have one category for being humble and submitting ourselves to another for the sake of their own needs, and that's charity. That's not charity. That's called being a Christian, you know? And so it's like we have to, we have to stop, stop with this idea of, like, man, pinpointing specific groups and then... Uh, not saying other groups are like that because, well, they're, they're well off. You know, they're rich. They're not poor. They're not in this particular neighborhood, so whatever. You know, let's just get this neighborhood and, and, and these people, da, 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 and call that reconciliation and call that loving our neighbor. When in reality, uh, man, that act is, is not charity. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's obedience. And so when we just flip that, we, gotta, we have to <laughs> turn, a, turn a switch and get that understanding and saying, man, I'm not, I'm not doing this, uh, not even firstly and primarily for the sake of somebody else, but I'm doing this because I have a, a changed heart in Christ. You know, um, I love what Paul says, you know, Philippians. I love what Paul says in Philippians 3, you know, modeling Philippians 2, where he talks about Jesus Christ and his humility at the ambassador. Being humble is uh, in, our, in, in our vision statement, you know, uh, hub, uh, humble, unified, and bold. Right. To be humble is modeled after Philippians two, where Paul talks about Christ being humble, where he didn't count himself, you know, uh, his equality with God to be something to attain. But he divested from it for the sake of us. In Philippians three, Paul puts himself in that equation and says, yo, I am a Jew of all Jews uh, from the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day and like like this whole uh, as far as a, according to the law, I'm a Pharisee. You know, I was a zealot for my faith, for my belief. And I counted what? All as loss. Not because I want to be charitable to my brothers and sisters, but for the sake of Christ. My gosh. I mean, <laughs> it's, 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 it's biblical. If, if we stay, the world has adopted so many terms that are first and primarily biblical in nature like justice and diversity even and um, unity, right? Uh, the world has adopted these words and we only look at them in the worldly way. And when we bring them back into the church, we don't even recognize them anymore. And we're like, <laughs> Yo, where, did, where did this come from? Wait, that's in the scriptures? It's like, where? Like, no way, you know? And so we're, we're actually jarred by what the world has actually given us back. <laughs> and we're like, oh, no, 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 I don't want that. But it's, we do want it because it was ours first. And I think we have to start doing that. We have to take these terms that, we're, that, that are supercharged now in our culture where we're right now in 2020 um, and say, nah, man, we're, we're redeeming these things as, as a people of God.
I was one of y'all once. I'll say we don't have Um, yeah, I'll do it. I'll, do, I'll come at it from this way. <clears throat> um, from a, from a personal like standpoint. So like, man, it's, that's actually nothing new, <laughs> right? Like it's not only in Ankeny, it was also in Kansas city, North Kansas city where I grew up at, uh, Meadowbrook elementary school, Antioch middle school, Winnetonka high school, um, Meadowbrook park. I remember, um, I was uh, seven years old, uh, went to this park. Back, back in this day, you could like go all over the place and do whatever you want to do. Nowadays, you can't even leave the front porch, you know what I mean? Uh, but we used to go to the park and we were playing football. I had this neighbor, uh, he had a friend, uh, one of my white friends, he had this friend come over, also a white dude. And we went to this park and we all got together all the time and we played, but this kid was new. And um, we were playing, having a phenomenal time. The kid wasn't playing. We took a break for a minute. We went over to the kid and said, hey, are you going to, like, yo, c come on, let's, let's play, you know? And he goes, ah, I'm sorry, I can't play. My dad said I can't play with black kids, right? This was 1995, you know? And so it's, it's, it's not um, for people who think, light of it, this is the first time I've ever said something like this to this age group, right? I tell that story to help, because if that's you, if it's ever been you, um, don't hide in that, <laughs> right? Um, I don't know how many other times in your lives you're going to be able to get a guy like me tell you my own personal story and experiencing that, um, uh, from when I was your age, right? And so that wasn't the only time. It, it happened in middle school. It happens in high school. I couldn't date particular girls, right? I was followed around in particular neighborhoods, you know, all these, all these different kind of things. Um, you know, was told I had to leave particular basketball teams even. And that was my thing. I, I was a hooper. Um, and so, yeah, I think hopefully hearing a story from someone who's now 32 from when I was 7 and 12 and 15 and 20, um, you guys can see that and say, you know, man, I have been or continue to be a part of something that's been plaguing this thing for 
a long time and I don't want to be a part of that anymore. And as middle school, high school kids, hopefully taking a responsibility to when you see that stuff happening in your school to be like, nah, that's not flying around me. When you see it happening with kids younger than y'all, nah, that's not flying around me, right? And I think that'll, that'll be helpful. My family lived in Ankeny until 2016, where we moved. We lived for a couple of years, and I'm not a fan of Ankeny for some of the reasons that you mentioned. Because, I mean, we had things like my, you know, my my kids. So I have two. I have a 14 year old and a 16 year old, and then two that are in their early 20s. And my daughter, she's the oldest, and she would get stuff like, um, "Well, you're pretty for a black girl," or or we 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 don't we don't date black girls here. What are those called? Huh? What are those called? What are those called? What little racists? What are they? <laughs> what? <laughs> no. no, fool, the term. <laughs> it's microaggression. Thank you. I'm a little slow. <laughs> See, I missed the alley oops. I missed it. So, um, and like. We we weren't in some I don't know what, but you know, we, we were in a big beautiful home on a golf course, you know, in a golf course community. And we went to the Centennial High School where all the wealthy people are. <laughs> right? And the week we moved in, my kids were in my, my two youngest were in elementary school. They came home and said that a kid on the bus said that my dad said your dad needs to go back to Africa where he came from. This is two thousand and fifteen. Like, just a matter of fact, like, hey, the sky's blue. My dad said this. You know, um, my, 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 my second oldest kid, my son got called Kaboom because his last name is Muhammad. They would walk past him, he would, and, and they would make, like, bomb explosion sounds and call him a terrorist and all this other kind of stuff. I mean, they were just merciless. So we had to leave. We were like, yeah, no, it's time to go. Um, but so to your question, what 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 young people can do is – you guys already know the teachers in your schools that you can go talk to. You, like, you already know who they are, right? So um, sometimes, you know, young people can be merciless with other young folks. And so for you to say something to somebody, which, I mean, I would, on the one hand, I would say if you, like, you've heard the idea, if you see something, say something, right? On the one hand, I would say do that. But I also know that sometimes that costs something socially. Somebody's going to talk bad about you, start a rumor or whatever. That, that could happen. So then if you know the teachers you can talk to and the ones you can't, go to the ones you can talk to. Um, the other thing that you can do, and this is what my kids and their, their friends did, is you can create your own space in the highest, like they're in, in the school. Like there are always um, clubs and groups and that kind of stuff. So when my 20, almost 21-year-old was in high school, he and his buddy started a group at their school called SACRE, Students Advocating for uh, Civil Rights Education. And it was a very multi-ethnic group. And it, the, very first, the very first meeting, it became the biggest club at Ames High. And those kids just created their own space to talk about things that were important to them, that were impacting them, to have some kind of sense of camaraderie and those kind of things. Um, and it really helped them just also kind of find their own crew 
at the school. Um, so I think probably the, the, the two biggest things I would say is that find a teacher and if a space doesn't exist for you, go build one. Timbo, you got no questions, man? You good? <laughs> this this is my other friend, uh, Temi Najesu Wakbaje. Say what's up, Temi. <laughs> I do, I do, thank you. I do actually want to say this real quick, too. I'm saying in front of everybody. Um, Josh, man, thank you. <laughs> you know, like this, this is uh, um, the hardest thing, I think, for uh, my white brothers and sisters to do is actually invite a space where these things are being said. Like you guys said, you're in Boone, Iowa, 95.5% white. What can you do? This. <laughs> <laughs> Move. <laughs> uh, you are. I, I like you. I like. I like you a lot. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. But yeah, this is this is really good, man. Appreciate it.